0: Facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio.
1: And in conformity with the proper terminology associated with Marian apparition sites of this level of approval throughout the world, I hereby, by means of this
0: decree, make a change in the title of Our Lady of Good Help to the Shrine of Our Lady of Champion. Our Lady of Champion and you, my friend, and hopefully me as well, we will all be champions of the faith. That's why we're here. We're trying to become saints. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 914 It's a toll-free line for you to call in and talk to me or my illustrious guest. I'll introduce in just a moment. Uh, you can also, of course, email me the address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, at kaleclark. I, I never did have the blue legacy check mark, but those who didn't pay for them, they're all gone now. So you'll know who's really paying out of pocket now, at kaleclark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. But once again, that phone number to call, 888 We're going to talk about going into monk mode later on in the program. This is really intriguing. Because in our modern distracted world, people are just craving focus and quote-unquote mindfulness. They want monk mode. But guess what? Even the monks had to fight distractions. You're going to be shocked by this. What we can learn from their battles, how you can win more concentration and peace in the middle of the world today. But I am joined right now by the hardest working guy at Relevant Radio by a long shot, certainly today, He's been here since the the wee hours of the morning. He was with Father Rocky at 9.30 live today on Relevant Radio. For a momentous announcement, we're going to talk about that. You heard it. There was a little bit of a tease for you just a moment ago. He was just he just finished up his own show for three hours, and, and he's not even done. Even after this, <laughs> he's going to be co-hosting the Family Rosary Across America. Well, actually, he's not going to—yeah, he'll be co-hosting with Maggie. Yeah, you guys are a team, and— Anyways, he's been loading up on Red Bull and Double Espressos all day. Drew Mariani <laughs> is my guest right now. Welcome to the program, Drew. Hey, okay,
1: Cale. Well, thank you. Great to be here with you. I always enjoy talking with you and spending time here with you. It,
0: it is It is always a treat. And if you haven't met Drew in person, everybody out there in Radio Land, if you've never met Drew in person, he is even more fun in person. He is truly larger in life in so many ways. but. Drew, so glad that you're, you're taking the time, and, and and tell us about the big announcement that you and Father Rocky broke. This was this is absolutely I I I didn't even know about this. I, I got an alert on my phone from Relevant Radio, breaking news: we're going live. Drew and Father, I'm I don't even know what's going to happen. What happened?
1: Let, let me ask you too, K. When you visited, have you had a chance to go to the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help? Have You ever visited that place? Tragically, I have not. All right, I, I got to take it. I, 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 well, let's do it. Yeah, next I, next I, time, time you're you. around, we'll we'll take the drive and, and we'll go. You're gonna love it. A, uh, the uh, In 1859, the Mother of God appeared under the title the Queen of, of Heaven to a little Belgian immigrant named Adele Bryce. And there she gave her a very simple message to take the faith and teach it in this wild frontier. She warned of future chastisements that would come to the area if the world did not amend its life, uh, amend its ways. And true to her prophecy, 12 years of date of that warning, We had this great Pestigo fire in which it devoured more land than the state of Rhode Island. It turned sand to glass. People thought the world was ending. And this young seer uh, took out a rosary, and she prayed. And people gathered as the storm closed in on her in every direction. Um, They somehow miraculously survived the night, and they looked out at a sea of ash, and there they stood on this emerald little patch of green, And as soon as that ended, people began coming there. They realized that the visions that this woman spoke of twelve years ago were indeed true, and miraculous healings began that took place. People found, you know, children who were hit by horses in the head and had head trauma, or you know, fell from barn, you know, lofts, Mm -hmm. or were paralyzed or broken legs. Miraculous healings took place, and from that moment forward, people began to have a devotion to Our Lady, and she came as the Queen of Peace, but she called herself. When people called her Our Lady of Good Help because she was so mm-hmm. proficient in that. Well, on December 8th, 2010, Bishop David Rickon, who was the 12th bishop of the Diocese of Green Bay, he formally approved those apparitions, making this site the only church-approved apparition in the entire country. This is the it. Only the only one ta- in the United States. The United States of all the places. And there have been other reports of visions, but this is mm-hmm. the only one that met the scrutiny of the the church, and he proclaimed that it was of a supernatural origin. Well, today, another development in the story continues. Over the years, uh, the Shrine has welcomed uh, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims. This past year, they had about 190,000. Uh, they made an announcement today. They changed the name. It's no longer to be Our Lady of Good Help. Okay. It will be known as Our Lady of Champion. And if you look at uh, Fatima, Our Lady came as Our, Our Lady of the Most Holy Rosary. But we say, hey, we're going to uh, you know, we pray to Our Lady of Fatima in Medjugorje, a site of reported apparitions. Same thing. She came as a Queen of Peace. There, they they talk about Our Lady of Medjugorje. So, uh, that was part one of the. Uh, excuse me, one second.
0: Okay,
1: I've been talking all day. I had something in my throat. <laughs> um, <laughs> the <laughs> little inside baseball, the cough, the cough block button. That's right. I, I had a, was I was in use. So. I had to hit that real quick. <laughs> so the bishop also is they've declared october 9th as a um a high holy solemnity in which they're going to honor uh the mother of god every day on that year so the church has re- received a a new a new level um uh, or the uh, the shrine is now entering a new phase i, I really should say the ta- the town's called champion it was actually from a suggestion of of the, this nun uh, the sister adele breeze who um in order to fulfill a promise she made, the Blessed Mother to serve the the, the sisters there, uh, they decided to uh, change the name here as well. So, hey, just a great day for the shrine, a That's great amazing. and holy place. Uh, miracles continue to this day. I was talking with the Bishop of Green Bay just earlier, and mm-hmm. he talks about how um, there have been spiritual healings, emotional healings, um, yeah. reconciliation, conversion. Uh, he shared a story with me, and I'm probably going to tell it wrong. He didn't share it today, but in days past of a woman who had a feeding tube in her stomach, they were on their way to a hospital in Green Bay, and they traveled, I think, from Kansas City or someplace, some some distance, and they wanted to visit the Virgin Mary in, in the shrine before they went to see the doctor. Uh, she had had some serious procedure. And um, her tube came out, and the the father freaked out because he knew how critical that was. You know, mm-hmm. this whole thing came out, so he said, "We got to get to the hospital now. This is this could be life threatening." And the mother said, "We traveled this distance. We're not going any further. We're going to go to the Mother God, and we're going to pray." And mm-hmm. they went down and they prayed, and that tube that had been in her, the 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 the, the hole, miraculously closed up, and I think the girl wow. was completely and miraculously healed. So we, we see these stories. They continue. You and I will go. And I'll tell you what, especially That's on October ninth, it is an extraordinary day. That's the anniversary of the Pestecco fire and that great miracle that uh, saved those people and and really put this the shrine, I think, on a, on on the map as well. Kind of reechoed the the, uh, the authenticity of Our Lady's apparitions.
0: Absolutely, you're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Drew Mariani, talking about the incredible news that came out of the now national shrine of Our Lady of Champion. And yep. You can go to the website. ChampionShrine.org. it's very easy to change that title digitally uh, of course but over the over the uh, next coming weeks and months uh, everything else is going to be changed over and i think that's a good move to uh, associate her with the the name of this place and and the feast day now of course on october the 9th as you mentioned drew and and really this this is a big step because it's it's not going to be an official feast day in the roman calendar for the universal church but this almost does raise Our Lady of Champion to the level of Our Lady of Fatima, for example, or Our Lady of Lords. It's a very, very important step. And and there are there are a number of alleged apparitions. And I'm not going to name names necessarily, but people flock to these places. We have right here in the United States an approved Marian apparition and now this incredible feast day on October the 9th. So this is not to be missed in People really need to go to championshrine dot to check out more about this, Drew.
1: And, and when you go, you are going to experience something. Before I got into the talk radio, Cal, I used to, I used to make documentaries, and I traveled the, um, I traveled the world literally. I was in South America, I was in Africa, I was in the Orient, I was in, in Asia, I was in a lot of different places, and um, I remember being present for the very last apparition of the Blessed Mother in a place called Quibejo. Rwanda. She came as the mother of the word there. And there she gave, like Champion, um, the Seers a vision of the future, a bloody future, in fact. And uh, we would know in 1994 the genocide would erupt. Yeah. But when I was there and the mother of God appeared, there was such an overwhelming sense of peace. I, it was like the veil separating wow. heaven and earth separated. You felt grace, you felt peace, you felt something divine. When you go to Champion, when you go down to this crypt, when you pray, I get the same sense so there's a real anointing mm. on these places and we are blessed to to have it of course our our lady it's not about her she's always pointing us to her divine son jesus and mm. that's really what this is all about right a call to conversion repentance the call of john the baptist to make our way to to christ and ultimately to our eternal home oh i, I absolutely love that and i i'm
0: very much looking forward to taking that road trip with you drew i know it's going to be a lot of fun you're a lot of time fun to spend time with as everybody knows who listens to your show Every day from 2 to 5 Central on Relevant Radio, featuring, of course, right in the middle, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy at 3 p.m. It's so crucial to what we do every day. It's prayer. And speaking of prayer and speaking of Our Lady, you're going to be back later tonight for the Family Rosary across America, sitting in for Father Rocky. He's on the road. And it's almost a little bit like the Marvel Universe here, Drew, on Relevant Radio. We've all got our own shows, just like these characters have their own movies. But there's some crossover events happening. And I'm going to be sitting in for Father Rocky as well next week, Thursday, Friday. Live from the Relevant Radio studios, yeah. so I'm looking forward to seeing you in the flash Drew. When I'm there, hopefully,
1: yeah, we'll hang out. So, you, when do you get in? Wednesday
0: or Thursday? Uh, so, so I will be actually. Uh, I'll be in monk mode myself. I'll be in retreat Monday, Tuesday, oh, Wednesday, and then yeah, first retreat since the pandemic. So I am hey. totally pumped. I, I need it. I can't wait. And then I'm going to be hitting the uh, the studios oh, good for, for you. Uh,
1: You'll be glowing Thursday when you get Friday. here. No, you'll, I hope so. You'll, you'll, be, you'll, you'll be levitating. You'll try, to, you'll, you'll try to knock my halo off, well, I know. One like of our that. other Marvel characters, you know, Patrick Madrid, uh, <laughs> he's going to be here, I think, on Tuesday and Wednesday. And you and I and Pat like to get together and have, have dinner uh, together. I we got to do that I on Wednesday. I absolutely love that. We'll have to hang out if you're around. If not, that, I'll see you Thursday. Absolutely. Well, hey, I look forward
0: to it. Why don't you go pound another Red Bull, get, right, get yourself <laughs> hyped for the rosary. And you've had a long day, but thank you very much, Drew, Thanks. for taking the time. Good to chop it up with you, as always. You got it. Keep was, up your great work, Hal. Thanks. Oh, thank you, sir. Hale. You too. That was Drew Mariani. If you need him, he'll be back uh, later tonight with the Rosary. And we will be back after this really, really quick break right here on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 9149 Call in, we'll be right back. How are you aligning your financial plan with your Catholic values? Is your Catholic faith influencing your financial future? Our sponsor Creative Planning has options. More info including disclosures at creativeplanning.com forward slash Catholic focus. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. My thanks to Drew Mariani for joining me in the prior segment, talking about the new feast day, raising up our lady of champion. This is incredible news. If you miss that, check the podcast. It'll be out uh, just a few minutes after the program uh, ends this evening, but you can call in right now. Triple eight, nine, one, four, nine, one, four, nine. Grab a place, grab a place. grab a line to talk to me. And, uh, uh, I almost was tripping over my words because I'm so excited about this next story. I, I I was just riveted by this. So many people want to go into monk mode, and I remember I had I have a friend from he's from Lebanon originally. His name's Jad, and he's married, got a big family, and his wife and his kids were going to be traveling home to Lebanon. They're going to be gone for a long time. It's a big trip. You don't you don't want to just go for a few days, and so they're going to be gone for about a month, month and a half, and. I said, man, you're, you're really going to miss these guys. And he said, yeah, yeah, but it's kind of bittersweet. I'll miss them, but I'm also a little bit excited. And I said, why? He said, I get to go into monk mode. And I'm like, ooh, monk mode. That's, that sounds pretty intriguing. He was just kind of looking for almost that peace, that quiet, so he could pray and study and really get to do what he can't do all the time as, as a family man. But a lot of people in today's culture are looking for something like that. And this idea of the monks and, and, and how they look at life is creeping into, and I think it's a good thing in many ways, the secular world. I was in a bookstore recently and I saw a book. It was, I can't remember the title, but it was something like the monk as CEO, how, how CEOs should almost be monk-like as they run their companies. And so people in this culture, they are just craving that kind of mindfulness, that kind of focus and, and part of the draw, I think, is that they, they want to live this distraction-free life, which seems like a pipe dream, doesn't it? Because we live in the age of the smartphone, and ancient monks might have been unfurling long scrolls of the scriptures of holy documents. Well, we have long scrolling sessions as well, but very often it's on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, and we're losing focus. We're losing focus. Cyberspace has crept into everyday life. It's inhabiting every single corner of our life. Nobody can really seem to unplug. And even if people try to unplug, they have a very, very hard time doing it. And if you can somehow do that, if you can somehow focus and concentrate, especially for long periods of time at work, uh, the author Cal Newport talks about this a lot in his book, Deep Work. If you can focus whether you're a student or in your profession, you, you, that's a superpower in today's culture because not too many people can do that anymore. And so I, I came across this really interesting article uh, on the Law and Liberty website by Rima Jadeha Reed, Reid, uh, who's a journalist and uh, in the past has written for Rolling Stone magazine. And it was all about how medieval monks. It was kind of a book review of of this book that's come out recently called The Wandering Mind, What Medieval Monks Can Tell Us About Distraction. It's written by the historian Jamie Kreiner. And uh, Jamie Kreiner, she's a professor of history at the University of Georgia. So she's a Georgia bulldog, and she doggedly pursued how the monks were operating, especially in the early Middle Ages. And so she writes a lot about the interplay between science and religion and so she really did this deep dive into the monks especially the desert fathers and the desert mothers of egypt when i was a before i came back into, into the catholic church i'm a revert. when i was in the protestant seminary i spent some years in protestant ministry before i came back into the catholic church when i was in the protestant seminary the most popular course every year, and it would always fill up. If you didn't sign up right away, you weren't going to get in. It was packed every year. There was this course called The Foundations of Christian Spirituality. And the reason why everybody loved it so much, the reason why it was always full, was because it it went into, and I don't even think people consciously realized why they loved it so much, but it was all about the traditions of prayer in in the church. And this was not, this was a Protestant seminary, but a lot of what we covered was basically Catholic traditions on prayer. And I remember we really talked a lot about these desert fathers and the insights that they had. So what what what's really intriguing is that this historian Jamie Kreiner in her book, she talks about the fact that the monks had to fight distraction, just like we do today. Now their their battles were different. The stuff that distracted them was a little bit different from the stuff that's distracting us. But here's a quote from Gregory the Great. Now he's maybe a guy you would think would be totally Zen in a Catholic sense, of course. Uh, But here's what Gregory the Great said. He said, quote, the ship of my mind is battered by cyclones. The ship of my mind is battered by cyclones. So he just had to fight for this inner peace. There's always stuff going on. The storms of the interior life, the reefs, the, the breakers, Always something that we have to fight against. And so, one of these desert fathers, maybe one of the most famous desert fathers, and I remember reading about this guy. His name was Abba Poman. Abba, of course, means father. Uh, you know, it's not a Swedish pop band, um, although it is, of course, but but the word Abba, Jesus prayed Abba, Father. Uh, this is an Aramaic word for father. And so, Abba Poman, or Abba uh, Father Poman, if you will. He, he, he was very, very well known and uh, talked about a lot of this stuff as a desert father. And again, the, these guys were basically operational in Egypt. That's where the desert fathers, the desert monastic movement was born. The fourth and fifth centuries especially yielded a lot of heroes and their fame spread far and wide. And so really, as, as this historian Jamie Kreiner explains in her book, according to this book review, and I haven't, I haven't read the book myself, but just based on this review, it sounds intriguing is that the first thing that these desert monks did was they wanted to separate themselves from the world. And this is known as renunciation. This was step number one, renunciation of the world, and then detachment, worldly detachment. Now it's interesting because for us as lay people, I'm assuming that most of the people listening are lay people, though maybe not. I'm sure there are some bishops out there in relevant radio land and priests and deacons that are listening. But for lay people, we do have to practice this detachment, even in the middle of the world. And it's often very challenging. Renunciation of the world. Now, again, even, even the monks would not say this. When they, when they renunciated the world, that, that doesn't mean that the world is a bad place or the world is evil. The world is bad. Only spirituality is good because God created the physical world as well. Don't forget. And he said that it was very, very good. The fact that we live in bodies, that's very, very good, although it does have its challenges. We'll talk about that too. Now, there's another sense in which Scripture talks about the world as being a bad thing, and that that has nothing to do with the physical planet. It has to do with worldliness. Worldliness. This is excessive detachment to the pleasures of life without reference to God. And the Apostle John, in his letters, he talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. (laughs) And again, the flesh is not bad in terms of the physical body. He's talking about, really, another translation is the sinful nature. Whenever it says that, you know, the sins of the flesh are obvious, as St. Paul says. He's talking about the sinful nature. This is unredeemed humanity. So the world, the flesh, and the devil can rise up like vipers and try to you know, sink their teeth into us and and really get a grip on us, and so we've got to fight against that. But this is what this is what the, the the monks did in the East, especially in Egypt, and what they found was that it's almost impossible to disconnect from people, from possessions, from things, even for them, even for them. And and they some of them went to some pretty wild lengths to try to do this. There's this guy known as Macedonius the Pit. Macedonius the Pit. Now why do they call him the Pit? Well he used to live in holes in the ground. He would just kind of dig these little caves and or find a cave and just kinda of, kinda of hang out there. And and you might think that's strange, but time permitting, I'm gonna tell you a story and, and remind me, I'll try to get this in there at the end. It's an incredible story, true story. Just happened a few days ago. A woman in Spain She's fifty years old. She's a she's kind of an endurance athlete. She was literally a cave woman for five hundred days. She lived underground in a cave for five hundred days, and she just came out. She just came out. She missed a lot of stuff. She didn't know about the the war in Ukraine. She didn't know about the death of Queen Elizabeth II. She came, she came out. And when they came in to get her, they said, "You're now they were kind of trying to see, they were doing some experiments, how the human body can handle living underground for that period of time and not seeing the sun and all that stuff. And I'll, I'll get into her story later, but when they found her, when it was time for her to come out, she was like, so soon? She, I'm just into this book. She was just kind of chilling and having an incredible time. So, And I think a lot of modern people probably wish they could do that sometimes, just get in a cave and just disconnect completely. Well, that may not be possible, but Maybe we can pick up on on some of the some of the insights from these desert fathers. So Macedonius the Pit, he would live in holes in the ground. Another guy lived, and again, remember this is Egypt. One of the monks lived in one of the tombs of the pharaohs. Okay, he's like, okay, this is this abandoned tomb where you know a pharaoh, like I don't know, King Tut, lived there. And I'm just going to hang out here. And you would think that he would be kind of satisfied there, but he really wasn't. He actually left behind tons of letters. He kept in touch with over 70 people on the outside. And he kept writing, how you doing? Can you write me back? He gave them blessings. He's like, can you bring me some cardamom? Of course, you know, come see me, come visit me in this Pharaoh's tomb. I don't know. I don't know if I want to hang out there too long. But but a lot of these guys had a hard time disconnecting as well. And they didn't have to deal with smartphones or anything like that, but they still had these issues. So one of the, um, in this article, one of the desert mothers, and there were some, some women who kind of went out there and became like nuns in the desert. And her name was Amma Sincletica. Ama Sincletica. She said this, quote, There are many who live in the mountains and behave as if they were in the town and they are wasting their time. It is possible to be solitary in one's mind while living in a crowd and it is possible for one who is a solitary to live in the crowd of his own thoughts end of quote that's a really really good line from this desert mother that you can be solitary in your mind while living in the middle of a crowd and, and this is really what we have to do i think as lay people uh saint jose maria escriva the founder of opus day used to talk about this all the time being contemplatives in the middle of the world he said your cell and monks, they live in these little rooms, and they're known as cells. Your cell is the middle of the street. Your cell is right in the middle of Wall Street or Main Street, whatever it may be. You need to live in the middle of the world. And so it is possible to be solitary in your mind in the middle of a crowd, but it's also possible for one who is a monk to be crowded in his own thoughts. In other words, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And so how you do this is really, really important. And there's another monk that's quoted here from the seventh century who said, it was the tropos that made a monk, not the topos. And I had to look that up. That, that was, I love that. It's the tropos that makes a monk, not the topos. The tropos is the, the sphere. It, it, it's the how, and the topos is, is the where, like topography on a map. So it's not so much where you find yourself. You've got to figure out how to be a contemplative, how to find God, whether you're in the middle of the world or whether you're in a monastery, whether you're living in a cave in the ground. You've, you've somehow got to get into this monk mode from time to time, even if you're not a monk. And it's really, really important. So you're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine, And apparently also the monks used to kind of argue about whether it's better to be alone, solitary, or living in a community. And we know, of course, a lot of monastic orders, they did live in these communes, in these monasteries, they still do today. But a lot of the Desert Fathers did live on their own. They were just kind of, even even St. Jerome did that for a little while. He lived in the caves for a while and just kind of got out in the wilderness. And so some monks were like, yeah, this is the only way to go. Uh, Ephraim the Syrian, maybe you've heard of him. He's a pretty famous uh, figure from church history. Ephraim the Syrian, he was on team solitude, as this article says. He was on team solitude. He was like, monks should live alone in Syria, and Mesopotamia. That is the, that's, that's the ultimate. Really, the only thing that's better than that is the silence of the tomb. Okay? The silence of solitude. But then there are guys like Basil of Caesarea, and Basil of Caesarea was like, "Oh, contraire, I'm all about being on team community. I think we should be together. Uh, the communal life, it's really, really important. We, we need each other, like, like different members of the body. We are we not meant to live as lone rangers. A lot of guys were totally against this solitude. Because when you're with your brothers, or you know, if you're a nun, you're with your sisters, you can strengthen each other in your vows. Uh, when you pray together, it just adds that more powerful or, you know, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, they're mine And so you're not self-sufficient. You can work on things as a community. And a lot of the monks, they made beer. You know, some of the, the first and greatest beers of all time were made by monks and they still are today. And I'm thankful for that. That's for sure. But enjoyed moderation, obviously. So So there's always that battle too. And I think, again, as we try to apply this to us, this concept of, hey, we've got to have elements of both. We have, we have prayer by ourselves in solitude. We have to do that every day, have this mental prayer with God, have, have some conversation with God. But then there's communal prayer as well. And sometimes that even happens virtually, like the family rosary across America, where America is coming together to pray together online, live on RelevantRadio.com or on the app, or whether you're listening in your car, wherever we can all be together in a different way. But, of course the the ultimate form of prayer is the mass and coming together as the people of god on every sunday and every day if possible uh, is is crucially important for us and it's it's for us the mass is for us it's what god does for us Uh, he doesn't need the sabbath we do and that's why he created it as jesus said it's made for people uh, not people for the sabbath and so it's really intriguing and Another thing that's really important about the, about what the monks did are, were the daily routines, the daily practices, the daily rhythms of their life that they got into. And I think, again, this is something that we can learn from this. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this. Got to take a quick break right now on Relevant Radio. It's the Kale Clark Show. Getting into monk mode right now, but you can call in 888-914-9149. I'll be right back after this break. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values. And fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to the show in this digitally distracted world. So much to divert our attention from the important things in life. What can we learn from the monks? How can we kind of go into monk mode in our lives from time to time to learn how to deal with distractions? Because the monks had to deal with them too. And so we've been dealing with a book review uh, about The Wandering Mind, a new book that's come out, The Wandering Mind, What Medieval Monks Tell Us About Distraction by historian Jamie Kreiner, a book review that appeared by Rima Jadeha Reid in Law and Liberty on their website. And so one of the things that we can learn from the monks, which I think is really important, is the importance of daily routines. This idea of scheduling your day, trying to live the virtue of order, an account for the time that's been entrusted to us. This is something that's been kind of a big theme in my life. I recently started time blocking. It's made a big difference for me. And you can, uh, we have more time than we think. And we're often so overwhelmed and and sometimes we do have to cut things off. We, we can only allocate so much time to a certain task. Parkinson's law always comes into play where the work expands uh, for the time that you give it. And something's just, they, you're never done. Um, but you have to do other things. You have to be present with your family. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to take care of your prayer life. And this is what the monks did as well. And they, they viewed this as a strategy for fighting against distraction in their lives. 888-914-9149 is Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. So they actually thought that if they stuck to their routines, they wouldn't get bored. It would, it would stop boredom from creeping in. And that, that's counterintuitive because a lot of people think that Adhering to a schedule is kind of boring, but in actuality, it sort of creates the environment for the magic to take place, if that makes any sense. And um, this article mentions as well uh, a tradition from the 7th century, and it's, it's hard to say in, in terms of its historical accuracy, whether, whether you can vouch for it or not, but it comes from a monastery in Gaul. And uh, there's this tradition that talks about how even the Virgin Mary in her youth allegedly adhered to a monastic schedule when she lived at the temple. And there is a tradition that Mary was a consecrated virgin. Her parents kind of dropped her off at the temple at a young age, and there she was worshiping, and she was planning on staying there, but God had other plans. And so is that the case? Well, we can argue that. Historians can argue the merits of that. But this idea of, of even the Blessed Virgin according to this tradition, taking care of regular intervals of prayer, work, and study. It's a lot like, for example, the rule of St. Benedict, Ora et Labora, prayer and work, prayer, work, and study. And that's a nice rhythm to to kind of think about. And and, and that kind of was part of her motif, allegedly. Now, whether she actually did that, I don't know. But there is a tradition in some church circles that uh, that's what was going on. It's in the Proto-Evangelium of James. But again, this is not a biblical book, so... Uh, it's not by any stretch of the imagination, hundred percent slam dunk, but we'll talk about that another time. But, but this whole idea of being involved in this system of time, the daily routines, one, one of the monks said that it would aid your concentration and reorient your mind itself. And, and that's, that's, that's really important because we do have to reorient our minds to reality. And I think one of the big problems with the modern world is that's completely lost touch with reality. Uh, People are trying to choose their own adventure, if you remember those children's books, and create their own reality. But that's not what we're called to do, according to the scriptures. St. Paul says this in his letter to the Romans, in chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. So he's basically telling you what spirituality really is. He says it's offering your body as a living sacrifice. Theology of the Body 101, that's pretty much it. So how do we worship God? In and through the body. That's why we kneel and we pray. This is, The liturgy is really good with this because it, there's a physical aspect to our spirituality. There's no question about that. And it certainly has a lot to say about Living life in the body as male and female, especially with uh, with marriage, of course. But but Saint Paul says this in the next verse in Romans twelve two. He says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable, and perfect." So we've got to transform our mind to live by the values of another world. That is the real world. That is the kingdom of God, and so. This is really, really important, and so this is what the the monks tried to do as well. And there's actually all these heroic stories about concentration, how they were able to concentrate. And again, that's really the superpower that we're trying to look for. There's a Cappadocian monk. His name was Elpidius. This is a legendary story. Once during, I think it was a liturgical prayer that the monks were doing together, a scorpion actually stung him. And of course, in the Egyptian desert, these things were around. He was stung by a scorpion during this night prayer, but he d- he barely even moved. He was so concentrating on his prayer. Now, that's the kind of concentration we should really be searching for. And so this is the, the idea of controlling the thought life, controlling the mind, renewal of your mind. Uh, St. Paul says in another place, take every thought captive to Christ. Well, that is a, a lot easier said than done, and we're going to fail from time to time. We just got to keep at it and keep trying. And this is what we do with the Confidior, right? Every time we go to mass, we say, I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do. So deeds matter, sins of omissions matter as well, what you ought to have done, but also your thoughts. Um, these, can't, these can't escape. So we've got it, they are consequential to our spiritual life. And so disciplining the body, it's really, really important. And this this is another thing that we another all of us humans have to to battle on this front and this article talks a lot about how unlike angels where angels have consciousness they have concentration they can do it they're pure, purely spiritual beings but because we do have biology we're burdened with biology as it were there is physics involved in our case that can help lead to distraction. That's something we have to fight against because we're not angels. And how true is that? In more ways than one, we are not angels. That's for sure. So we have to get into these disciplines, these practices. And and yeah, monks had their ascetic practices, but we kind of have to do that as well. And not just in Lent, this idea of mortification. It's the prayer of the body, whether it's fasting or the things that we gave up, the good things that we gave up for the sake of God. Maybe it was like a positive mortification, doing some extra exercise has the benefit of being good for your body. These are things that we have to do. This is the prayer of the body, and it can influence the soul. It can influence the soul. And the body does inform the soul in a lot of ways. And the, the, the interior needs to match the exterior. And I remember watching a TED Talk, very famous TED Talk, uh, by this gal named Amy Cuddy. C U D D Y, and you can look you can look this up. It's one of the most popular TED talks ever. I don't know how many millions of times it's been viewed, but I'm sure Patrick Alog will will look it up because he's our, our crack statistician. But she talked about faking it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. What does that mean? She talked about sort of informing your your soul, if you will, with with the body, and she talks about like power poses in business and in life. You stand like you're confident, shoulders back. You might want to go into a Superman pose, put your hands on your hips. I don't know. Maybe stick your arm in the air like you're about to take off and fly. I don't know. But but this whole idea of if you start smiling and with your body acting confident, eventually you're going to start feeling confident. In the same way, the body can influence the soul when it comes to this life of prayer as well. And so the monks were masters of this and they, they did this in a lot of different ways. And one of the funny anecdotes in this piece was about the grooming practices of the monks. And um, Jamie Kreiner in her book talks about, once again, this famous Abba Poemen And one of the more, more famous desert fathers. And he used to, uh, and this might sound gross to you guys, but he used to wash his feet, but the other monks didn't. The other monks did not. And, and they would ask him, hey, why are you washing your feet? And he's like, well, quote, we have not been taught to kill our bodies but to kill our passions. End of quote. We've not been taught to kill our bodies, but kill our passions. Uh, but uh, maybe uh, you should be uh, doing some foot washing as well, because you guys. Wow, that, that's you, you need to wash your feet. This is not good for communal life either. Let's let's put it that way. So I, I think that's a it's a good uh, uh, act of charity for the others. Here's another thing. This is this is very counterintuitive because sleep was also seen as an enemy by the, by the monks. They, they, they believed that if they restricted their sleep, that it would actually make things better on the spiritual level. Now, I'm not, I'm not so sure that's the case. This, this is something I'd maybe take issue with. There's been so many studies on sleep deprivation and not getting enough sleep and how it really can mess you up on a lot of levels, uh, make bad decisions, and uh, I have a story about that later, time permitting as well. But a lot of the monks thought that if they restricted their sleep, It would increase their mental acuity, make them be able to concentrate more. (laughs) I'm not so sure about that. If I don't get enough sleep, I'm not exactly concentrating well. But they would go to really, really extreme lengths to try to avoid sleep sometimes. They would stand, especially during, sing these psalms together, and they try to stand so that they're, they would just try to stay awake. And that's not a bad tip because sometimes when we're praying, we can get tired. And we can almost want to take a nap when we're praying, like Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane. They just kind of started snoring while Jesus, is like, can you please just watch with me for one hour? No, we're tired. Sometimes we got to shock the body. Again, just maybe instead of sitting on the church pew, kneel down. Maybe just walk around for a little bit. Try to jumpstart yourself so that your mind can be engaged as well. And one, one of the, uh, the monks mentioned Abba Sisoez of Calamon. This is extreme. Do not try this at home. He scared himself into staying awake by suspending his body over a cliff. Uh, don't do that at home, please. So, uh, if you're out in LA and you're you're hiking on the cliffs and you're trying to pray, don't don't do that. Don't don't try to wake yourself up in that way. So. I, I think that's, that's really uh, amazing. And of course, the fasting, self-control through fasting and hunger uh, was really important as well. So this idea of linking body and soul ultimately is the goal here to try to help with their concentration in prayer. All right. So you're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Just, just, just one, one last thing critical thinking was was really important what they what, what a lot of these monks were really good at was living an examined life and you've all heard the famous phrase the unexamined life is not worth living the unexamined it's also true the unexamined faith is not worth believing uh, we've got to know the reasons for our faith what we believe and why that's a big part of what we talk about on the other show that i host on relevant radio the, uh, the faith Explain program where we go into the scriptures, the evidences for the faith in great detail. But one of the things that the monks did, and apparently Kreiner talks about this uh, in the final section of the book, is the journey inwards. And here's, a, here's an interesting anecdote. One of the monks of the Red Sea, a, a desert father around the Red Sea, he used to take baskets to track his thoughts throughout the day. When he had a good thought, he would put a stone in the basket to his right when he had a bad thought he would put a stone in the basket on his left and by supper time if the bad basket had more rocks in it he would actually kind of punish himself he he, he wouldn't eat that night He w- he would skip his dinner so it was kind of like creating a consequence for for not taking every thought captive i thought that was really interesting but this idea of journaling the monks were kind of at the forefront of so many people are into spiritual journaling, and I think it's actually a really good practice to write out your prayers and have kind of a spiritual journal and kind of a record of what's going on in your interior life. And Dorotheus of Gaza he used to tell his monks to kind of do this, to journal. And he'd say, take this mental checklist every day. Maybe it's like an examination of conscience and ask a bunch of questions like, was I held captive by turbulent thoughts? You know, was I just kind of worried about everything. And I think our worries can sometimes be idols in our lives as well. Our anxieties, we can fixate on these things. We take our mind and and our vision off of Christ, the divine mercy. We have to say, Jesus, I trust in you. I have to trust that you're in control of this. And so, but if they did have any distracting thoughts throughout the day, they were, they're supposed to think about this. Why was this? What is the origin of these distracting thoughts? This is discernment. This is true discernments. And so, what the monks would often do is is gather, begin their prayer by gathering their thoughts. And this is a this is a great anecdote too. John Climacus he used to do this. He went to to a, to a visit in, in in a monastery in Alexandria, and there he found this monk in in Alexandria, Egypt. And this guy was like super locked in on his prayer. So he said, "How how are you doing this? How can you concentrate on your prayer so much?" And this monk told him, uh, John Climacus. The monk said, hey, what I do, first of all, is I gather up my thoughts, I gather up my mind and gather up my soul. And I say to them, come, let us worship and fall down before Christ, our King and our God. Yeah. Take, take your mind, take your soul and say every single part of me has to fall down and worship right now before Christ, our King and God. I love it. I love it. And here's Here's the money quote from the article, uh, this book review by uh, Rima Jadeha-Reed, who is a fellow at the University College London. Uh, this is a really great quote. She said, quote, to solve the issue of distraction, one must first identify what is truly worthy of total concentration. End of quote. Now, that's a great line. I'm going to say it again. To solve the issue of distraction, you've got to first identify what is truly worthy of total concentration so for the monks clearly that is god and and that's really what what, what our prayer is all about i love it i love it and so we, we gotta we gotta figure out what's truly worthy of our concentration so many things in our culture just simply are not worthy you know like wayne's world we're not worthy and and they are not worthy of our attention at times and we, we allow these things to distract us and so we've got to kind of Take a take a scroll from the monks' uh, books, if you will. Unfurl them and figure out how they did it. Well, I got a couple of minutes here, so here I got. I promised you I'd try to tell you this quick story about the cave woman, literally, uh, who was underground for five hundred days. And I read about this, and I'll send a link to this uh, uh, to uh, Patrick Alock, who's producing the show today. It's from Smith, uh, Smithsonian Mag, and. um, He'll put that in the show notes from the Smithsonian Magazine. And um, really intriguing. So this just happened a couple days ago. Beatriz Flamini. She's a a Spanish endurance athlete. Uh, She's 50 years old. She's a climber, kind of an extreme athlete. And on April the 14th, and just six days ago, she emerged into the sunlight for the first time after nearly one and a half years. Of total isolation Uh, she went into this cave on november the 20th 2021 230 feet below the surface of the earth and it was just outside of grenade of uh, grenada in southern spain and she wanted she kind of volunteered for this she signed up for this to test the limits of her self-sufficiency of her mental fortitude but also she wanted to help researchers understand what happens to the human body living underground uh, what happens to the mind and so they would kind of drop off food for her. That's, this is how she, she survived. They would drop off food deliveries for her. It's kind of like Uber Eats. I guess they drop off food. They, they monitored, her, monitored her condition remotely. Uh, she had a couple of GoPro cameras, and she would kind of record herself in the cave. And this is all for, a, for an upcoming documentary as well, which I'm sure that, that you'll hear much about. And somewhat surprisingly, you might think this is just a, a prison sentence, but she loved it. She absolutely loved it. And um, this is a world record, by the way, for the longest duration of time spent in a cave alone. So that guy who's known as the pit, that that monk, you have been beaten. And um, yeah, so the previous record, by the way, um, for somebody who's been in for that long was uh, 69 Days, the Chilean miners. Remember the Chilean and Bolivian miners in 2010? The mine collapse they were there for 69 days before they were rescued but this is a little bit different because she did have access to food and after 500 days uh the support crew descended into the cave to get her back and she was actually shocked she's like i can't believe the time is already up she was sleeping i think she was having a nap when they came down and she just lost complete and total track of time obviously not being, having access to the sun and again she had no idea of everything that had been going on in the world She stopped keeping track of time after day 65. It felt like 4 a.m. all the time for her. So she would exercise, she would prep meals, she would read books, she would do some crocheting, she would do some drawing. And she had some she has apparently she had some hallucinations, auditory hallucinations at one point. And allegedly she had a strong craving for roast chicken at some point, a little nostalgic maybe, but she never wanted to give up. She never wanted to come out. And she was like, hey. I, I kind of wanted to keep going. I was enjoying this nice book. I was just kind of chilling, and it, it, this is this is. I think uh, I'm sure a lot of people might might identify with this. How can I kind of get this break from the world and, and kind of go into monk mode and, and get some peace in the midst of all this stuff? Well, I'm not suggesting you go live in a cave, but we we can take again some lessons from the medieval monks, the desert fathers and mothers, and figure out how we can apply some of their prayer practice to our lives today. Well, stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Brooke Taylor is sitting in for Timory tonight. Uh, She's going to do a great job, and she'll be sitting in for me, as I mentioned off the top, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. I'm going to be on retreat. Please pray for me. If you want me to pray for something for you, I'd be happy to bring it to my retreat, and you can email me, kale at relevantradio.com, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com, or find me on Twitter at Kale Clark. And then after Brooke sits in for Timory, Drew Mariani, he's still around. He's still here. He's gonna be hosting the Family Rosary across America. And I will be too next week. It's the Marvel Universe. Lots of crossover hits coming up. Thank you for listening today. Patrick Alock sitting in for Jim Shaper. A little under the weather, praying for you, Jim. The great John Hanready took your phone calls today. Take it away, Michaela.
1: Thank you for listening to my daddy.